Freedom HealthWorks is the direct primary care accelerator. We help doctors across the country start fresh in direct primary care. With Freedom HealthWorks, you work with a team, not a checklist. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com and together we can achieve true freedom in direct care. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Today, we're exploring the continued theme of finding alternative sources of care that is quality and easy to understand cost pricing and get to work with amazing people at the same time. So today we talk to Dr. Andrew Wickline, an orthopedic surgeon at Genesee Orthopedics and Plastic Surgery Associates out of upstate New York. Dr. Wickline, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Thanks for having me, I really appreciate it. Now I wanna see, get a little snapshot from you before we get started into um, a lot of the broader conversation here. What does your practice look like today compared to where it was when you started uh, some 20 odd years ago? So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a lot balder and a lot grayer and uh, practices become more challenging uh, just as with the primary care specialists. It's, we feel it the same in, in the specialty groups. I'm a hip and knee replacement surgeon. That's pretty much what I do. I do some knee arthroscopy, but, but mostly hip and knee replacement. And, you know, the Academy just put out a, a, a paper showing that we are 40% down uh, in hip replacement and 37% down in knee, or maybe vice versa. But in any is that event, volume? Is that, is that like no, number no, of volume? No, no, no. 40% down in reimbursement last 20 oh, years. I gotcha. No, the volume is up because if you're 40% down in reimbursement, the only way since the prices are set by a group that doesn't understand what we do every day, prices are set. Right? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Prices are set, so you know the only thing we can do is do more work. And um, you know, I'm one of the busiest surgeons in the state. Multiple years, I've I've done the most of this in the state. I'm always in the top five for volume. Thankfully, we we are able to to marry that to the lowest complication rate in the state. The new data just came out, so we're we're pleased to share that again. But uh, you know, it, it's it's troublesome is really the bottom line, which is really why I've been reaching out to look for new ways to do what I do best, which is take care of patients and try to get away from the insurance carrier. So I, I've been offering uh, self-pay uh, joint replacement at one of the lowest costs in the nation. And um, that's how I actually came across uh, your company. We love like-minded people uh, all over the country. And as we continue to expand in states, um, you know, we relish conversations like this. And what I always tell people is, you know, doc, Dr. Wickline, you're not alone. I mean, this is something that's taking off across the country. There's here in my home state, hometown of Indianapolis, like there's like-minded uh, surgeons and anesthesiologists who are doing the exact same thing. And it's really amazing to see. And you have to say, well, wait a minute. I thought, I thought all these doctors were happy, right? You know, if you're, a, if you're a patient on the street and saying, well, I don't understand anything to do with insurance. And I figured that this was all just the way it works. But what are you seeing when you, when you tell people that I have a cash price that's this? And I mean, is that going to be significantly cheaper or on par with insurance? How are those adding up? So, you know, my cash pay price, it's its clearly written on my website at uh, andrewwicklinemd.com. Uh, it's $16,800 for a total hip and $17,800 for total knee. 
that includes everything, the surgery center, the anesthesia, the, the special pain mod, uh, medications that we use. Uh, additionally, it includes, um, you know, I have a, I developed a protocol for no therapy. And I think we were going to, I'm sure we're going to talk about that at some point, but essentially that saves patients another three grand minimally uh, postoperatively and less pain. So, you know, it's a very fair cost. You know, when you look at the recent federal guidelines that hospitals have to post prices, you're seeing $44,000, $50,000, $98,000 out in Sutter, California. I mean, there's no reason for it to cost that much. And I think it's criminal that, that these prices aren't posted. We should post prices and there should be fair reimbursement. We talked about this briefly before. Let me just ask the audience who's listening and then you can give me your number and, and try not to cheat. But what do you think the average person thinks I get paid for a knee replacement? Based on the numbers you just threw out. So if you're doing you know, an insurance company, would what do you say about 40K at most hospitals uh, out there? I bet, and because I, I uh, have some family who are ENTs and they, they tell me their reimbursement margins based on just simple putting tubes in the ear, you know, based on insurance one, I'd be, I'd be shocked if anybody out there said that you make less than $5,000 on a typical replacement. So you're way off base. I get $1,341 for knee replacement. Uh, and that's from Medicare. So the commercial payers pay another 20% on top of that. And there've been multiple studies suggesting that patients think we get 8,000 to $13,000 for joint replacement. And uh, that's just not the case. So, you know, 1300 bucks minus 60% overhead minus New York state taxes of 46%. That's uh, 237 bucks in my pocket to fix your mom's knee. So, you know, I don't like it. I don't like fighting and then I have to fight to get that money. So, you know, I want a fair reimbursement. You know, we ask for a, it's a $3,000 surgical fee. We do this Iovera. That's where I freeze the nerves preoperatively for the knee. You know, that's $1,500, but I know it works. I've had all my family members, you know, have it. It basically freezes the nerves for three months post-op, helps with post-op pain. And with my protocol, we've also published lowest in the nation opioid usage through 90 days. Uh, we are five times lower than the next best paper uh, at a Mayo Clinic. So, uh, my patients use 10 pills or less uh, through 90 days. And that's just unheard of. The average is 150 pills. So wow. I want to unpack and dive into a couple of different things that you've been mentioning here um, so far in, in you know, our short conversation. You mentioned that you have the best lack of complication rate. Was that the state of New York or was that? Um, New yep, state of New York. That's state of New York. So describe that a little bit and what goes into that and where those metrics come from. Because to me, like that is the definition of quality medical care. And I know that a lot of people have different definitions of the Q word, as we call it. Um, and it's usually whatever insurance companies tell a hospital or a, a physician is quality based on a bunch of different numbers. But I'm thinking complications and outcomes is a great judge of quality. Yeah. So you're right. It's very challenging to figure out. Uh, it's a moving target, right? So, you know, CMS publishes some data. They look at 90-day readmission. They look at 30-day uh, readmission. And then they look at the reasons for readmission. So they, they publish that data. So for our hospital, we were 1.6%, uh, which was the lowest in the state of New York out of 101 hospitals that, that met that certain volume criteria. And, you know, my personal number is 1.1%. I do 80% of the work there. So, you know, I was the driver of that number. 
you know, then we published that data separately in a separate study. Again, that opioid study showing that, you know, our rates, it hovers between 1.1 and 1.2% uh, per quarter. Alternatively, if you want to look at it a different way, I was also involved with the federal government's um, BPCIA plan, which is a, it's a bundled arrangement where you look at cost over 90 days. And I have one of the lowest costs in the entire nation. And that looks at readmission, right? Every time you have a readmission, that's a twenty to $80,000 cost the per patient so that so i went at risk i could potentially have owed the government that money but instead i was rewarded for doing exemplary work and so that there's two different ways to prove that the, the complication rate is what it is you know there's multiple studies showing you know there's a big one of the big centers in, in down the city you know they have about a five percent complication rate in their bpca data and you know there's a big difference and that's where you get, that's what drives cost is complication. So the next thing I wanted to touch upon that you were talking about was the therapy free techniques that you're using. Cause I shared this with you kind of offline, but I did my time as a, as a financial analyst intern at the pure orthopedics up in Warsaw, Indiana, manufacturing uh, joints and all kinds of cool stuff. And this was way back when, but you know, great people loved it. And every once in a while, we'd get the, the pleasure, I guess, of sitting at the desk and watching the latest DePuy orthopedic product being put into somebody's leg or hip. And I'm thinking, this is hard to watch. You got these guys just pounding these legs in and pounding these knees in and the hips in. And I just don't think a lot of people understand what it goes into a hip replacement. And, and, and it looks painful. And that's the reason I bring this up. I mean, this looks painful. Major, major surgeries here. And then you're able to develop this new technique, this new system that you just briefly mentioned. So expand on that for us and say, you know, here's what most orthopedic surgeons do. Here's what I do. And here's how this is more beneficial. So most surgeons use the, the techniques that they were taught in residency and fellowship, and that's what's worked well. And so that's what they do. And you go to a meeting or two and, you know, it kind of confirms, yep, that's everyone's still staying the same, but it's very hard to leave the fold of convention um, because what, what could happen, right? It's, it's scary to do something different. So most people will do a knee. Uh, let's, let's just say with knee, uh, hips are easier. Let's just, uh, and, and after surgery, the patient will go to therapy three times a week for about six weeks, sometimes as long as 12 weeks. The academy says it takes 10 to 12 weeks of going to organized therapy three times a week to get 110 degrees of motion. Uh, in our paper we published, uh, we were able to see 109 degrees at three weeks uh, with 85% of patients using no therapy. Uh, so if you look at it, just the copays alone, let's just say 40 bucks a session. So now you're at, uh, what is that, 80, 120 a week. I mean, now you're looking at like 700 bucks of copay money for six weeks of therapy, let alone what the insurer is paying. So on average, it's about $3,000 for post-discharge spend in the therapy space, and it's, it's miserable. So the way we, so what we do is I, I teach my patients how to do some simple exercises, uh-huh. and they do it a little bit each hour, and it's much less painful than 90 minutes three times a week. And, and I feel bad for the therapist because the way the billing is, like they feel like they have to beat on the patient. And, and that's how you get into this crazy cycle of needing opioids before and after therapy, and then it hurts so much I can't bend. And, and, and by the time the swelling goes down 36 hours later, it's time to go to therapy again. And so many of my therapists in the town, they were very angry with me at first, but they've, many of them now have, have kind of switched to a less aggressive approach. Strengthening should not be done straight out of the gate, but that's the way the building system is set up in the United States. So 
really you need to work on range of motion and controlling the swelling. Sure, sure. And, I, and I'm just curious about compliance rates, because when, when I hear, you know, people are chasing top dollar, which is a natural thing for us to want to do, right? Human beings are wired to take the path of least resistance for the greatest outcome. Were people following through on the traditional surgery, still going to all 12 therapy sessions through the pain, through the, you know, potential pill addiction? I, I'm just curious to see what the compliance rates were. And then if that led to any more complications down the road. So I definitely think that the the 90 minute work, if you sprain your ankle badly, do you go and do a 90 minute workout the next day? <laughs> no, right. It's going to swell. It's going to be miserable. We've, we've all learned this lesson as, you know, as a teenager, we learned that lesson, but what are we doing with the total knee? Just like you said, I make a cut, I, I hit you with a hammer and it, you know, it takes an hour of, of beating on the patient and then sew it all back up and then tell you to, to do lunges and squats. That's crazy. And so this is a customer service profession. You listen to the customer. The customer comes in and says, Doc, I love my new knee finally at three months. And I say, okay, when are we going to fix the other one? It's terrible too. Doc, I'm never going to have that one fixed because the therapy was so painful. And again, it's not because the patients or the, the therapists were trying to be mean. It's just that they felt that they this is the, the way it's always been done. So this is what we have to do it. Mm-hmm. I love that you called somebody a customer. All too often, what we see is that there's a hesitancy to call a patient a customer. We like to use the word, you know, consumer, but that's really what it is. So, you know, I'm right there with you on people being customers and having that customer service experience be something that they want to come back and do again. And then, you know, you throw in the opioid epidemic and and um, how what you're doing is helping alleviate that problem because. I mean, you can totally follow the breadcrumbs here. You have a very major surgery. You have pain. You have painful therapy. You take a pill. You have another painful therapy. You take a pill. And it just kind of drives onto itself, right? So, you know, in my opinion, um, I would assume that people are very happy coming to to see you. And it sounds like great quality outcomes. I mean, am am I on the mark there? Well, I mean, again, so the customer is always right. And the customer says the therapy is torture. I don't ever want to do the therapy again. You have to reassess that. So that's what I did. And I created a protocol that you just do uh, five to eight minutes per hour of simple bending and straightening exercises. You do that for the first two weeks while the swelling's terrible. And lo and behold, by two and three weeks, you get to motion. And now your life, you get your life back so much quicker. And, and that just improves a whole number of things. Less DVT risk, less opioid use, right? And so, again, like you said, you have to listen to the customer. When the customer comes back and says, this, everything was great except you know, X, Y, and Z, you start plugging away on X, and once you fix X, you fix Y. That's why we do, you know, routinely we're in the top five for volume year after year for, for joint replacement. And I'm in Utica, New York, a little small you know, town. It's not, we're not a big city. I want to shift gears and talk about you know, what you mentioned before about transitioning from the insurance and Medicare model into the cash pay um, type of a business in, in care model. And for once again, these listeners out there, we're talking to Dr. Andrew Wickline, an orthopedic surgeon at Genesee Orthopedics and Plastic Surgery Associates. So Dr. Wickline, looking at the cash pay environment, the cash pay ecosystem out there, and I know that's how we got connected um, you know, from Freedom HealthWorks and you know, from a podcast standpoint as well, what has been your biggest motivation into getting away from insurance and switching completely into the cash pay realm? 
Well, I'm not, I have not divorced myself yet from the commercial payers, but I'm looking to do so. I don't, they're not a partner with me. You know, again, this, we talked earlier about this cryoablation, this freezing of the nerves preoperatively. It's not super expensive. It helps reduce post-op pain. Why shouldn't we be doing that? And I brought, I was covered by Blue Cross Blue Shield here locally, but then they decided not to cover it. I met with them and they told me, oh, you're already at the lowest opioid use. So what's a few more opioid pills? You're already lower than everybody else. And, and that, what? that, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what said, they told me. They said, go ahead. We don't care if you, if you throw some more pills at somebody. Yes. They said, you're, you're already at the, the lowest number. You, you've already told us this, you published it. So why would we want to pay for this? And, and I just, I, I cannot I can't I, fathom that. That's criminal in my mind. Why would they? Yeah. Why? What, what's their even motivation that they they want you to bill more or what? It, yeah, they, they're they, I'm because, at a loss. I, I have no idea. I mean, one 24 hour prescription of opioids is associated with up to a 6% risk of permanent addiction. If you become permanently addicted, you double your yearly commercial pay cost. So a commercial payer typically pays just under $10,000 for each patient, you know, and they take in what, 18,000 per, per patient. So they're already making a $9,000 profit, but those opioid addicted patients, it doubles, it's $20,000. So now they're not making any money on that patient. So why not prevent the opioid problem in the first place? You know, for $1,500, it's, I, again, the data is there. I offer, they said, no, you don't have enough data. I said, okay, why don't you... Why don't you pay for a research assistant? I'll get you the data so that I can help prevent opioid addiction. And they're not interested because it doesn't help them make money. That's incredible. I, I mean, I'm rarely speechless, uh, but I, I have no idea what to say to that. I mean, that just doesn't, it just flies in the face of everything. <sighs> they told me they had their internal experts review it. And I said, well, why didn't you ask me? Uh, clearly, I'm an expert. I published on it. Uh, and again, no interest. So this is why I'm moving away from that model. I want to have clear pricing. I don't like this hidden in the dark pricing. I, I want a fair price. Uh, I'm not asking, you know, uh, for ten or twelve thousand dollars to do the surgery like down in the city or or other places. Mm -hmm. I, I just want a fair price so that my staff, my staff, all want raises. And you know, the only way I can get them a raise each year is to do more work. There's there's a finite number of hours in a day for me to work. I want to be fresh and, and good for my patients. And so I just have to keep taking a pay cut every year so that my staff can, can at least have cost of living uh, raises. So the only, way that, the only way I can see out of this is to divorce myself from commercial payers. Well, spoken like a, a true business owner, right? You know, you're going to be the last one getting paid. You're going to make sure your, your uh, team, your staff are taken care of and everything's going. And then if there's anything left over in the kitty afterwards, after everybody's taken their cut, uh, like you're talking about earlier, then that's, that's going to you, right? Like I said, yeah. if, big if on that one. So I think you've made a great case for your motivations on, on uh, kicking insurance companies out of, out of your OR. What have been your biggest challenges? Let's, let's go there. You know where you want to go. You know what you want to do. You know why you want to do it. You know how you can do it. What are the roadblocks? The roadblocks, I don't know how to reach my direct uh, primary care providers. There's no national network that I can get on and say, here's my website, here's my portal, you know, I, as we talked offline, and in six weeks, I hope to have all of the, at least sports medicine, as well as plastic surgery and hand surgery. Like, I hope to have all of that on board with clear pricing at my surgery center. And we'll be the first in the Northeast, in all of Northeast that I'm aware of to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I think that makes sense. But that in and of itself is a problem, trying to get all the different people to figure out what their actual costs are. Right. And this is why I think hospitals do have a problem with this. It's, it's hard. To, it's a moving target. 
the next issue is again, like we talk about getting, getting in front of potential customers. Hey, this is what we do. Here's my quality metrics. You know, how do I get in front of them? I've done some Google pay you know, stuff. I've, I've reached out to networks like yourself and, and I do podcasts, but I, I don't know how to, to connect with providers and with patients so that I can do what's necessary for the patient uh, and get them back to work uh, and, and, and everyone happy with the, the cost. Do you find that, you know, the patient, the, the customer, as you, as you termed it, do you find that they're the ones calling the shots on that? Or are they beholden to like an employer plan or another health plan that's just trying to influence them one way or the other? I've had a number of patients. So like I said, I, I practice in uh, just outside of Utica, between Utica and Syracuse. I mean, pretty much we're right on Route 90 and just shy of Route 81. And, um, you know, I've had patients from North Carolina. I've had patients from Maine, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, uh, Canada. So we have, we have patients who make the drive. And on the website, they talk about it. it was worth it. It was definitely better. You know, I have an education book that talks about every single day post up what's normal, what to expect. You know, nobody provides that. I, I, it's just, I just find the, the, uh, the patients are stuck. So I have a patient, I don't want to use the name of the company, but they have a big cost sharing company. That company didn't have a list of provider specialists. And so he had to go online himself and poke around, poke around. And, and thankfully, because I've been doing this long enough, it came up high enough on the Google search engine that uh, he found me. And you know, now I'm going to fix his other knee and his wife's knee. And, and the same thing with my lady up in Maine the direct primary care provider and and she was looking and looking and then it just happened the last time she looked i had finally gone live with the self-pay uh, so i've done both of her husband's knees and i think her knees coming up uh, in the fall so it's uh it's worth the drive for them we have a way to, to make that work and because you don't need organized therapy uh, and you don't need lots of this extra accoutrements that i think many providers still think you need we help keep it streamlined Right. I agree that the providers and, and there's, there's, there's way too much uh, infrastructure that, that kind of direct patients and they're directing them in the wrong places. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I was curious about that. And, you know, that's something that I think we could all be better about being more intentional about it, even those in the, in the DPC world and the direct care world is all too often, it's kind of our default to go back to those bad habits of, oh, okay, my patient needs a knee replacement here. Go talk to this um, you know, orthopedic group in town. Good luck. Let me know how it goes type of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a lot of the bad habits that we're always encouraging physicians to break is let's not rely on the insurance, your patient having insurance and using insurance out of the office. If they're used to using cash, let's find the right type of options for them. And I know that's something we've been working very, very hard on and we're super close. You know, We're so, so, so close to being able to uh, help stitch together the specialists and the surgeons and all kinds of stuff across the country. And it's great to talk to people like yourself who are like, yes, you know, that's what we need, you know, create that referral network of cash paying smart consumers, smart healthcare customers, and keep them in that system and don't let them go back to the evil hospitals and the confusing insurance plan. So, you know, I, I think uh, you being right there and the same type of wavelength as a lot of the physicians are around the country, they're going to benefit from it. These patients, because they're doing their own legwork, trying to find, a, you know, a surgeon that number one does cash pay. And then uh, number two, now, now they're actually, okay, now I maybe have got three choices or four choices. I found four people maybe. So now they, okay, well, I, I don't know any of these people. And the only way I'm going to figure out if they're good or not is I've got to look, 
I've got to look online. What, what, what are their metrics? So mm-hmm. this is already a patient that is involved in saying, I want a great outcome compared to, you know, a patient who comes in and the doctor said, yeah, you need it. You know, you're walking poorly, go see the hip surgeon. And, you know, you see that patient and that patient doesn't want to read the book, doesn't want to get educated in, right. in understanding how they can improve their own outcome by making some, some minor modifications pre, pre and post operatively. And so I, not only do I love being away from the insurance company, these patients tend to be, they're just self-motivated to get better. Uh, they own their own business and they need to get back to work. You know, they're not, uh, I was in a car accident. So even if I am better, I, I have to pretend like I'm not better because the, the way the insurance industry is, I can make some money off of this. I, I have trouble dealing with those kind of patients. Because it, it, people are not assembly lines. And so when you talk to doctors about, I need to see 40 patients a day and and you talked about, I need to do X amount of cases. When you start getting into that mentality, to me, that's a very slippery slope because I'm approaching it from the patient side saying, is this doctor even going to know my name or am I just patient number 35 today at the end of the day that's been hellacious? And that's very scary from a health standpoint because we're all different, right? <laughs> Tell me if you've seen one need that's exactly the same as, as another one out there. Everybody's just a little bit different. And that's very scary when we try to commoditize medicine in general. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I, I made it a long time ago. I said, you know, I'm never going to do more than 10 surgeries in a day. That's the max. I want to be done by three o'clock. I want to have a regular seven to three day. Um, that way all my team's happy, my staff's happy. And, and that forces the, the, maybe a day that during the week that tends to be a little lighter to be even keeled as well. And that's a better way to have a happy you know, work home balance is to, you have to set a limit. This is my limit. And that's that. Yeah. And in, in that scenario, I think the patients will win too, because 10 to me, sounds like a lot, but if you're telling me, Hey, some people do 30 out there or 20, whatever it is, I'm going to say, wow, I, I'd hate to be the last person on that roster for somebody working, you know, doing 20, 30 cases a day. No, our, our generally our, our last case of the day starts at one forty-two o'clock, you know, maybe a little longer if, if there was an emergency that, that shut down a room you know, from the ER or something like that. But I think everybody's on the same page. You know, everybody wants daylight surgery. You know, you look at a lot of these universities, the schedule cases, the four schedule cases, and the last one's getting done at eight o'clock at night. First of all, it shouldn't take that long, number one. Number two, does anyone want that team working for the last 12 hours or 16 hours? Nobody wants that. Dr. Wickland, I'm going to give you the last word here um, as our discussion draws to a close. Where do you see kind of a big picture uh, based on your experiences? And I love to ask this question. And so uh, I bet some people out there listening kind of roll their eyes like, oh, here we go again. You know, what's, what's, uh, what's the day perfect? Where does the healthcare go from here? Look into your crystal ball. Where do you see us going? And does that match up with what you would describe as this is the perfect way to build a healthcare industry? Oh, I don't know if you want me to answer that. I, I don't see this going down a very good road. It's a trillion dollar industry and it's, it's run by uh, five large uh, insurance commercial payers. They have a lot of sway and they help, they help politicians get elected and politicians like that job. There's power there, right? I mean, it's, it's power. I don't want to say corrupts, but you know, that, that's, that's what the saying is. Right. And so, you know, it feels good to have some power and, you know, okay, I guess I can vote this way or vote that way. I mean, I have to believe that that happens or otherwise we wouldn't be in this mess. Mm-hmm. The, the, we need to make those in those 
if you're going to have someone process paper and try to keep costs down, it really should be a, a net zero uh, a company and it should not be shareholders. You know, I see this in industry uh, from the implant side as well. I see where, where CEOs are there from five to seven years. And so it makes more sense to build a robot and make those joint replacements. That robot is only good for one kind of joint replacement. And then we, then you don't have to, to change the joint replacement. And now you can forecast exactly how many cases are going to be done because the hospitals bought into that. And, uh, you know, the CEO is there for five to seven years. So they have a short window. They have to keep their share uh, holder price up. If they do, they get a nice big bonus when they leave. The whole healthcare system needs to be taken out of the market. That is the biggest thing that I see. And I, I hope that some politician hears this and takes makes this their crusade because you cannot allow uh, these decisions to be made by, you know, these decisions are, are all based on shareholder price, not on outcomes for patients. Mm-hmm. Dismal outlook on that. Sorry to say. Well, that's all right. Well, well uh, to me, that says uh, that, you know, anybody listening there, especially physicians and people in medical need to get involved, um, grabbing the ear of their politicians and their representatives. I mean, that's something that we've always encouraged is I think too often physicians will take a back seat and saying, well, I don't want to, I don't want anything to impede my clairvoyance, my medical judgment out here, whether it's market forces or business forces or political forces. And then if they're not going to be involved, somebody else is going to be. And that's kind of, to me, what you were saying is how we got to this path is the people who are wired to take care of other human beings, God bless all their souls, they took a back seat to other people who stepped into that void and um, have the ears of the, of the policymakers. I and just, that's a serious problem. I've tried to meet with my, with uh, Senator uh, Schumer and Gillibrand that their office has reached out to me. Well, one of the offices reached out to me and I was able to talk to a, a very, very junior staffer, but that's as far as it gets. There, there's no interest because I'm not helping obtain a reelection. <laughs> I hate to say it, but that I, I, how can I have lowest opioid use in the nation, Chris? Right? I mean, I mean, come on, lowest opioid use in the nation and no therapy. If the entire country did my my protocol, so and, so, and I only got eighty five percent success with no therapy. So let's just say it's only eighty five percent. That's eight hundred fifty thousand total knees times three thousand dollars each. That's two and a half billion dollars savings per year. And you take that to the bank all day long, right? Like that is actual provable numbers. Tell me, tell me why, why I can't get a seat uh, with the Senator. Yeah. You think that somebody's antenna would raise it that one and say, oh, wow, here's actual solutions. Uh, they don't fit any talking points, you know, neatly, but here's actual real world solutions that we can do some good with. Well, Dr. Wickline, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Uh, love what you're doing. We need more of you. So keep up the good work. And then uh, if anybody out there is listening and say, you know what, I have some patience or I have a need for another resource for great outcomes, great quality care at a price that we can all understand and see, andrewwicklinemd.com, best place to reach you. That's, that's the easiest way to, you can get an appointment that way and you can look at my data, my published studies are on there. And I really appreciate you guys having me on. We need to get this word out to regular people. Because the only way this is going to change is, is a grassroots, non-representative uh, movement to, to get a, a law that changes this. Thank you again for having me. Really appreciate it. I'm right there with you. Dr. Andrew Wickline, orthopedic surgeon, Genesee Orthopedics and Plastic Surgery Associates. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening to Healthcare Americana. 
to check out all the fun things happening in direct primary care and direct care and even cash pay surgeries as we continue to to empower physicians to take back healthcare. Visit freedomhealthworks.com. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Interested in saving money on medical expenses? Coral is a healthcare marketplace and referral platform that helps direct primary care physicians, specialists, and medical plans find each other and work together at an affordable and transparent price. Save time and save money by utilizing the transparent direct contract model from Coral. To learn more, please visit coral.io. As a podcast listener, you know how frustrating it is when the audio is muffled or unclear. How can you have a good listening experience when you can't hear? Healthcare has been the same way. Information isn't clear, and it's hard to understand. That's why at Point Health, we're making healthcare easy to find, easy to understand, and easier to afford. And to help with your podcast experience, we're giving you a chance to win a free pair of Apple AirPods. Just visit pointhealth.com slash healthcareamericana to learn more and enter to win. The new administration has big plans for your health insurance, changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all problem. The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from ISA Health Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan, which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance, or are uninsured, you can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com. A free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you. At Green Imaging, we provide diagnostic imaging procedures that include MRIs, CT scans, and x-rays for half of the average price in a health plan. Most people don't realize that the most expensive place to get an MRI is right down the hall from the prescribing doctor. This is because 70% of doctors are now employed or subsidized by our hospital systems. When we get an imaging exam at a hospital-owned imaging facility, the cost of care is three to seven times more expensive than it is at an independent imaging facility. There is a better choice that can save you up to 65% or more. That choice is green imaging. In most hospitals, there are 16 administrators for every single doctor. This creates an unnecessary burden on the price tag. By removing this excess, Green Imaging provides diagnostic services typically at one-third of the price or less. 
Check us out at greenimaging.net. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.